0: time that we were pr- first presenting our technology at a first-year experience conference as ACU and feeling the energy in that room because that's when I felt like everyone doing this work needs the right tools to be able to support their students. And you could just feel it in the room, and that's that's really what got me uh, moving on writing the proposal that led to Ferris resources.
1: Yeah, I was talking to a group of students the other day and and they were asking about being a technology company. And I was like, yeah, it's of course, of course that is what we do, right? That's what we provide. But then this heart that's underneath it for the really good work that we do. And Matt, you and I have talked a lot of times and could spend a whole cap and gown talking about the names of students that we worked with and helped and walked alongside and what they're doing now and how their lives are changed and also they're impacting the world for good. And that is such an exciting uh, piece of that. Hello, everyone. You've joined us for season four, episode 12 of Cap and Gown. I'm Rachel Phillips-Buck, VP for Student Success at Ferris Resources, joined today by Matt Boisvert, our president. Hello, Mr. Boisvert.
0: (laughs) Hi, Rachel. I got the to well, mystery today.
1: Yeah, I feel like I have to treat you a little bit special because you join me usually kind of as my co-host, but today on a very special episode, you actually are my guest. So I feel like I have to treat you a little bit differently than if you were just just my co-host. You know, yeah, know I, mean? I
0: appreciate that. I'm a little I'm just gonna be honest. I'm a little nervous because when I think about some <laughs> of the other people you've had on as guests, like Anthony Melcuri... Sherry Woosley, you know?
1: I mean, I feel like you stack up. I I feel like it's going to be a great episode.
0: (laughs) No way. No. Okay. Um,
1: Okay. So a couple of things. First of all, you and I have just come back from a trip to Denton, which is a super fun place. Like I really liked it there. Yeah. I had Bao for the first time, which is like a fun. Have you had that before?
0: Yeah. I thought I told you this used to be. So growing up in Bellevue, Washington, right next to my high school back in the days when you could walk during lunch you know you could go yeah. wherever they didn't yeah. they, they didn't care did. where you went yeah yeah For right sure. next door so i would walk over to the Uwajamaya and i would have bow every day i mean it was like so good so
1: well mine was delicious and i feel like i won because everybody at the table was like we should have got that, and that as
0: soon good. as it as yeah. soon as it came out as <laughs> josh and i both were like yeah he won oh, wow
1: um okay our theme for the year is curiosity 2024 curiosity and next week actually is a book week so we are going to be talking about our book that we've picked for the year actually we have a couple you have a couple behind you i think we're going to probably spread it out over the rest of the year but the one that we're talking about next is seek what's it called Seek how curiosity can transform your life and I have to move it up. Change the world. <laughs> Sorry, I can't remember that. It's a super long book title. Um, but in the vein of curiosity, I'm going to give you three of my Google searches over the past week since the last time we had an episode of Cap and Gown and I've asked you to do the same. So are you ready for my three? I am. Okay. My first one is not so exciting, but it's what is the population of Denton, Texas, which in case you're interested, it's 155,000 people. My second one is what are Morrison corn kits?
0: Another Denton search. Another
1: Denton thing. We were driving down the street and there's a big bull, uh, like sign, not a not a uh,
0: Mid-
1: not a billboard, but like just a sign that says Morrison corn kits. I looked it up. It's like packaged corn meal, cornbread, corn muffin mix.
0: Yeah, and that's like right in the center of Denton. If yeah. you want to go anywhere in Denton uh, from Fort Worth, you're basically driving around the Morrison Corn Kit,
1: Corn Kit manufacturing, manufacturing plant. Yeah, we just were like, what is <clears> it? <throat> I don't know why it's called that. But And then the third one I'm going to tell you is, what is Queen Latifah's real name? Because I was like, oh. no way her name is Queen Latifah. Her name is actually Dana Elaine Owens.
0: I was thinking it was Diana. It's Dana. Dana
1: Dana Elaine Owens. Okay. Just so you know. All right. What's in your Google search, Matt?
0: Um, Okay. So the most recent thing I've searched was uh, the movie Singles, which is a 1992 movie takes place in Seattle. It's very grunge Seattle culture, which was right. That was my senior year of high school. Okay. So, Braden and I were talking about, about the movie, and I wanted wanted to refresh. Apparently, there's just a great cast. Yeah. Uh, so, I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm not... Yeah. Don't
1: endorse it, because who knows?
0: Yeah, I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying, I, I do have some great memories from high school. So, 1992. Then I looked up Komodo Loco, which is the restaurant where you had your bow. That True. was... And then I also um, looked up... <laughs> Round bottom steak sous vide. So you might wonder.
1: That's a kind of steak.
0: It's a kind of steak. Okay. Round bottom steak sous vide. You might wonder why. And it was because I was trying to figure out how long I needed to sous vide this so that it would be tender enough to be used in fajitas. Because.
1: What was the answer?
0: Flank steak is like out of control prices. Why? Like this round bottom is much cheaper. Um, between twenty four and thirty six hours. <laughs> it's so tough. It's it is really tough. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh,
1: curiosity, man, curiosity. Okay. So we, I have a long list of questions that I want to ask you. I have some good stories to tell on you today, but first we need to dive in. What?
0: Yes, I don't want to steal your thunder, but it's-
1: okay, don't then. <laughs> Let's dive into the State of the Union. Matt, I feel. I feel like these days the state of U- the union should be called the state of NIL, NCAA, FAFSA. FAFSA. Yeah. And there's one other one that it's like all oh, Title Nine. <clears throat> so well. Yes.
0: This is the first time you've ever had a guest steel try and interrupt you on State of the Union. So let's <laughs> let's hear it, Rachel.
1: All right. So the first one, when we think about all of the stuff that's going on in higher education, Dartmouth basketball players were ruled employees the other day, which means they can unionize. So the National Labor Relations Board ruled on Monday that the college, Dartmouth College men's basketball players have the right to unionize. In a 26-page decision, Laura Sachs, the regional director of the NLRB's Northeast uh, region, said she reached the conclusion because Dartmouth has the right to control the work performed by the men's varsity basketball team because the players perform the work in exchange for compensation and in conclusion, she's like, the college players are employees and are not going to create any instabilities in labor relations. Do you remember we talked about this last week? Everyone was yeah. like, that's a terrible idea, except for this person, apparently. <laughs> so Dartmouth said they're going to appeal the decision.
0: Oh, uh, for sure.
1: They're like, the NCAA just continues to build massive money raising enterprises on the backs of students who are not fairly compensated. This is coming from the Supreme Court Justice uh, Kavanaugh. So he had. He was talking about this in 2021 about NIL. He said, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it's not evident why college sports should be different. The NCAA is not above the law. Dartmouth is like, hey, hold on. We are not a school that makes tons of money from athletics we are a school that actually spends more money on athletics than we make we don't give scholarships because we're division three um there's a lot of reasons why they are not the right ones to go for in this ruling but the <clears throat> ruling is like but you do a lot of stuff for them that counts as compensation and so we're going to count them as employees so wow. that's interesting also the ncaa is being sued by Texas and Virginia attorneys general over the NIL rules, basically saying, Hey, we don't like how you're treating the NIL, all of the stuff that you're saying about boosters and about how we can't recruit and blah, 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 blah. We don't have, we don't think you have the right to to do that. Um, And the NCAA just keeps coming back and saying, We're just trying to protect our athletes. It's a wild west out there and we're just trying to decide what needs to be done, but they're pretty, University of Tennessee is pretty unhappy because the NCAA is investigating them for breaking some of the proposed rules around uh, NIL. So just goes on. You know, this has been going on, is it 2020 or 2021? I think it's 2021. Just like ever evolving, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. If this happens to Dartmouth, which I mean, so it affects Dartmouth, but for sure. Does it apply to every
1: no, it's a regional? Team? So they're like, but I mean it is precedent. There's a lot of precedent since I think twenty uh, twenty. I don't know, Matt. Don't ask me dates. I didn't okay. I didn't underline them, but there is well, some precedent already about this. But in general, people think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in FAFSA news. So I don't know if you noticed that last week when we were doing our show, FAFSA was like, Oh, never mind. It's going to be the end of March.
0: Hey, this is this is a great part point to, to make. So if you're watching on LinkedIn, and you have uh, comments that you want to add contribute to the to the this story, feel free to chat to us right now. Because last last week, we had uh, one of our great friends who, who chatted like and as you were talking about it, they released the news yeah. on FAFSA.
1: So a couple of accommodations that the government is trying to make, because now they are so late and school, schools can't send out letters, students can't make decisions, they're going to reduce some of the requirements so that colleges and universities have less of a arduous process to validate the forms that are coming in. So they're going to reduce the portion of financial aid forms it reviews for potential inaccuracy and also suspend all new reviews of college compliance with financial aid offers um, unless they're around like a very egregious kind of, of review. So they said basically we want to free up some time for financial aid counselors to help students better with the FAFSA this came after 100 lawmakers sending a letter to the education department on monday being like hey this it, this is ridiculous we can't put up with this in 2021 2022 the department selected 18% of FAFSA applications for an audit
0: so can i just stop there isn't that shocking like i i just assume like every every application was reviewed
1: yeah no 18% and now they're going to bring the verification rates even lower so they're like just tell us what you want to tell us no one's going to check your work okay Okay. um also to try to help schools out with that they've just passed the the u.s department of education just announced last week it's going to allocate 50 million dollars to help make up for the debacle of its much delayed fafsa launch this is to help severely under-resourced campuses focusing on minor, minority-serving institutions. Everyone's super unhappy with this because there's no clarity or specificity with what it means. The department said in the announcement that only all historical Black and tribal colleges u- colleges and universities are eligible to receive direct support. People are like, what about historically uh, or Hispanic-serving institutions? And they're like, see our press release on Monday, which isn't super helpful. Yeah. Um, So you can imagine this article, it's just all about how this is really high stakes for small tuition dependent colleges and trying to figure out, this is really interesting, Matt, it says when the institutional student information records finally roll in, it's going to be like a tsunami bunched up against a peer. If your yield numbers are off by even a hundred students, the results could be financially catastrophic, right? Right.
0: So the the two forces, you have students who are delaying. I mean, just yeah, decision, you know, right? I, have a, I have a senior in high school right now, delaying because they can't make a good decision without yeah. knowing how much money they're going to be able to get. Then you have schools that are especially tuition-driven institutions, which is most most private institutions yeah. are are that way, and and you have all of this, and then you have in the middle. You know, this is where, what's the name of the guy from Parks and Rec? I, I feel like he Ron would, have something. Yeah. Ron Swanson would have something to say about this because that log jam that you just described is only happening because the Department of Education decided it was time to change it and, and wasn't ready to push in the clutch and, and change yeah. to this new one.
1: Well, so, Matt, and you know, we say all the time with higher education, if you miss the deadline, you have a year. That's just true. It's like, you have to hit the deadline.
0: because
1: If you don't, then everything is ruined until the next deadline. So if we're supposed to get it in, in October and you miss it, everything is going to be a mess until the next October when we're, when we're in that time again for decisions and FAFSA. And
0: I'm not saying that like last year's FAFSA was the best in the world. Of course it wasn't, of course there needed to be changes, but this is worse than just keeping what they had. Yeah. This is this is creating a problem for no good reason.
1: Yeah, it's kind Just of... poor, exactly.
0: poor delivery, poor planning. You can't run a software company that way.
1: Yeah, <laughs> true. that is true. Okay, in some better news, huh? um, there's a new accreditor who is kind of hoping to enter into the market of accreditation for mm-hmm. higher uh, education institutions. It's called the Post-Secondary Commission. Their mission statement is... Post-secondary commission's primary focus is to accredit institutions that produce strong economic returns for their students, agree to be held accountable for student outcomes, act with transparency about their results, and pursue innovative designs to improve their student outcomes, which I love all of that. That sounds really awesome. Um, this is the first accreditation uh a creditor who's focused on student outcomes. And they're only a year in, it takes like four or five years to do this. They're gonna uh, pilot it with, what did I tell you, Texas uh, State State College, but they basically are a nonprofit philanthropy backed organization that really wants for schools to be held accountable for student outcomes around their accreditation. So they're looking at things like absolute earnings and value add earnings, which are defined as absolute earnings are um, if the median wage for graduates is 150% above the poverty line for two or three years after they complete their degree. So that's, that's uh, absolute earnings. Value added earnings require institutions to generate wage gains for both graduating and non-graduating students that exceed the cost they charge those students. So that's really interesting because we're always talking about students who come, they don't finish their degree what did they pay for that two semesters or whatever? And then what can they make? Was there any advantage to that? So then you get into yeah, like yeah. mini certifications, right? And that sort of piece. Um, they basically want to hold uh, institutions accountable for generating strong economic returns for students and acting with transparency. So I think it's really interesting. The <laughs> The detractors are like, how will you ever measure any of this? Gathering the data, knowing... Beyond graduation, what's happening with students across different demographics, collecting longitudinal data on income, establishing a minimum earnings bar, blah, 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 like all of the stuff that you need. So they're one year in and they don't have a lot of details about how they're going to do these measurements. But just the fact that it's a conversation in terms of not who you're letting in, but instead how you change the trajectory of their life moving forward, I think is super powerful. And I'm excited yeah. to see where that piece goes. So I love that. Um, okay. What's the, what,
0: what is the name of the accrediting?
1: It's Post Secondary Commission. And it apparently has a bunch of really well-known philanthropists and people with a lot of money that are backing it as a viable alternative to some of the other accreditors. Okay, All right. And then the last one I have for you is actually fun. It's about Taylor Swift, which I know she's in the news a whole bunch. But this is called Swiftonomics. And it is about Paul Krugman, who's a New York Times columnist, Nobel uh, Nobel Prize winner and distinguished professor of economics at the SUNY Graduate Center. He started teaching economics and he was like, hey, I teach 12 principles of economics and Taylor Swift fits into Eight of them perfectly, and I can finagle her into the other ones. Wow. So he's talking about things like her impact on supply and demand with ticket prices, discussion of monopolies since Ticketmaster was the sole seller of her concert tickets. Um, all of the all of the different ways that she's manipulating the economic forces because she's so powerful. So um <laughs> they, they set up a set of assignments for studying Swift Swiftonomics, which is like the impact on the upcoming Super Bowl, ticket sales, hotel rooms, stays, viewerships, all of the ways that she's uh, influencing that. It is not the first Taylor Swift class. She also has courses covering her songwriting and her musical techniques and influence on pop culture, taught at Harvard, Stanford, Berkeley, and Arizona State University. Um, but... The Super Bowl, I think, was a good case study to kind of understand the attention that she's bringing to a whole hey, group. Do,
0: do you know if the NFL paid for her to fly back from Japan?
1: I don't think so. I, I have no yeah. idea.
0: Well, I mean, she's pretty amazing. I don't know if she ever took if she ever took a business class, but she she could for sure teach. Yeah. Um, a she's lot a of assistant. a lot of business courses. Yeah, I mean, for- she's phenomenal.
1: All right. well that is the state of the union so now i'm moving on to the second segment of our show actually it's the third one we don't we don't tell people that we name the first one chit chat we have chit chat cool. <laughs> then we have a state of the union then we have our guest i'd like to welcome my <clears throat> guest today matt blaver president of ferris resources hi matt
0: hi i put my guest hat on
1: good So I want to do some introduction. Um, We're going to talk through kind of your story of how you ended up here, which is really fun to think about. Like everything that we're going to talk about has led to this moment when you're a guest on this podcast. So that's kind of exciting. Um, But first, personally, I know how you like a good award. And I think everybody should know that, well, I don't want to steal your thunder. So can you talk a little bit about the fly fishing award in your family and who is getting it this year?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So my family fly fishes. Uh, this all right.
1: If you're oh. not joining us on podcast, you need to look this up because Bailey has put up a picture of where Matt fly fishes in Colorado and a picture of him with a fish. It's very exciting.
0: Yeah this this view on on uh, the left is actually from the front porch of the cabin that we stay at. Really super excited we get to stay there again this year, new owners of this cabin. And that is my 22-inch rainbow that won the trophy this year. So the trophy is is my family on my mom's side. My grandparents, both both of my mom's parents, love to fish. And uh, so every summer from the time I was, I don't know, I don't know, two, we would go to Colorado and Um, so it's just a part of our our family culture is fly fishing. My grandfather taught me how to fly fish. Um, so there's a rich history of fly fishing and, and it's a special time. When my grandfather passed away, my aunt, I caught a, I caught a, the largest fish I had ever caught, a 23 and a half inch round trout. Uh, so I was, um, 19 years old, caught this, this beautiful fish in, in, uh, So she sent me, I guess she sent me a trophy, a personal trophy for my big fish. And I thought this is pretty special. It would be neat if we had a trophy. So our family created a trophy, named it after my grandfather, and it goes to the person who catches the largest trout each summer. So pretty special. I've won it. This is now my eighth uh, time. Yeah. Um, so, 22 inch rainbow. It is now hanging on my wall. I have a permanent uh, screw in my wall for where that award goes oh, when I, I, win t-
1: I Sorry, I thought you were saying the fish was hanging on your wall. I was like, that's news to me. I didn't know that. The no, no, the award. Okay. Yeah,
0: no. the trophy. So it's per the it is the the it's a screw, not a nail. It is permanent. This is where it goes when and I, I win around. it, not if. Yeah, it's pretty we get pretty competitive in my family for that. So Well,
1: I will say that every summer when you go to Colorado, Ferris Resources is just a buzz, hoping the text of the picture that you're like, okay, I think this is the one. So this year is pretty exciting. All right. So, Matt, I want to lead you through. You have had a journey. I'm not going to start very much in your early years, but I do want to talk about you went to Abilene Christian University, your first job so your major was marketing your first job out of ACU was working for a dust collector right
0: (laughs) manufacturer yeah manufacturer CMW manufacturing yes
1: and can you just share with our listeners because I think it I think it will help them understand your character how did you get this job
0: okay so the this is, th- there's actually a lot in this that I'll try to, I, I know how you like a good story, and I'll, I'll try really hard, Rachel. <laughs> the director of career services at ACU contacted me, and he said, I have a I have a job you should apply for. And so, I, you know, I'm a senior, and I looked at it, and it was, a, it was a sales, inside sales coordinator position, and I was like, I really don't want to do sales. and And he said, well, he, the the owner of this company is an alum and he's has big ideas about how he wants to grow. I think you would be a good fit. Just you should talk to him. And so I um, reached out and we set up an interview. The owner Daryl Beakley was, came to Abilene to interview me. While he's coming to interview me, I call and I'm calling around his company, all, all his offices and talking to people interviewing them on what they need. Uh, like how, what, what would you do? So there's the sales role, but what would you say? Who's doing the marketing? Oh, just started asking questions, trying to understand what they really needed. Do they need sales? Do, or do they need marketing? Cause I was wired for marketing. So then when I have the interview, um, I answered his questions on the sales side. And, and he's, and he said, um, I, I started then talking to him about how I see myself adding value to him. And I just crafted the job I wanted. I just told him like, these are, the, these are the five, these are the 10 things that I think in addition to this role, I could provide to you. And he slid paper aside and he said, Toppy, Toppy Cohen, who is the national sales manager, isn't gonna be happy about this, but it seems like you could be our director of marketing. Is that something you would wanna do? And I said, absolutely, I'm totally wired to do that. And he said, okay. So he made me an offer for the job that I wanted, not the job I didn't want, and not that's the job they
1: had posted, right? <laughs> not the job he came to and, hiring for.
0: But I think it's a good lesson. Like, um, yeah, for me, it was there's no harm. I wanted to get interview experience, and then if this guy actually wants to grow, then we can do it. We had a great, we had a lot of success uh, while I was there.
1: Yeah. I think it's really fun because I think everybody on your team would say like there's these spaces where it's like you just show up and do some Svengali move and then we all are like, yeah, that is, the of course, why didn't we ever think about that before? So that like having the vision and then challenging the process, I think is uh, core to a lot of the success that you've had. Okay, so you go do that job for a couple of years.
0: Three years, yeah. And And then
1: you decide, oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: So then you're interviewing
0: me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and then you decide to go get your master's degree at Arizona State.
0: In yeah. Uh, services marketing and management. So, uh, my mentor Rick Lytle, was the dean of the College of Business at ACU's, uh, at ACU, um, he got his PhD at Arizona State, um, and and so in marketing. And so I, of course, was interested because I loved what he taught. I loved his approach. I loved um, the idea of the customer in the center. And, and so, and all of those things that, that wrapped around, I just loved all of his classes. And so I looked into it and it was like, this is perfect for me. So um, really fortunate um, to uh, pack up my wife and I, we, we moved to Arizona and started at uh, Arizona state.
1: And so it was a good experience.
0: It was phenomenal. Like, like I said, I mean, it was perfect. The content was perfect for me. I, I was talking about curiosity. It was like every every class um, was just exciting, you know. Except for some of the accounting classes that <laughs> later on. I mean, I actually, I actually, cost accounting was one of my favorite classes. Who would have thought? Yeah, you know, and it's uh, use it look, right what's that
1: is that it's and it's come in handy
0: yeah i use it a lot (laughs) so um but also in that there were a couple things that i experienced i was uh i loved doing case competitions had a lot of fun and and success with case competitions uh in my mba and, and that really helped me understand like i don't know there there are things that i uh enjoy and that i seem to be good at um so that really helped me you know, start to see potential of, of where I go. I did an internship at Hallmark uh, in the summer between my first and second year in Kansas City, and that was super influential in, in my career decisions. So, in what way? <laughs> I realized I am not made up for corporate life. My dad was <laughs> was corporate, very successful, and I and it just was not it was not entrepreneurial enough for me. And so, you know, Hallmark's awesome. It's a great brand. Um, I love Hallmark. It just wasn't a good fit for me. And so that it, that helped me narrow, you know, where where I should look, what I should do.
1: It seems like in some of the stories that you've told about that experience, that it's just very much in in the corporate world. It's like stay in your lane, don't have new ideas, do this thing well, right? And it's like, they lost you when they said, don't have new ideas. I mean, what you can yeah. understand, Matt, because like, as an intern coming, coming in, yeah. in a certain kind of environment, that is very concerning. Not here. Like, we love it. We're like, have all the ideas, right? But, but.
0: Yeah, look, it, it was a, it was a, it was a good lesson for me on, I think there's definitely a level of, of. Humility that I, um, you know, if I could go back, I, I definitely, I was excited and I thought they actually cared. I thought they actually were wanting ideas. And I, and so I misread the room, you know, it kind of how that came out. My, to be clear, my manager at Hallmark uh, was awesome. And um, Jenny Lee, Jennifer Lee was awesome. Uh, she was just an incredible manager, um, leader for me. And she and I worked really well together and she listened to me. It was when we went up a couple of levels that they're like, who is this guy? And why is he talking in this meeting? So
1: he has opinions. I don't I'm not having it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. so you that was helpful for you to be like, I kind of understand now how I'm wired. Um. Can you tell me when you graduated from that program? Your sort of twenty-year plan, because I'm sure you had one, because this is how you do, right? Your twenty-year plan after your master's degree was what?
0: Well, I guess it, at that point it would be a fifteen-year plan. I had I had my twenty-year plan when I when I graduated uh, from undergrad, and and it was um, it had it, get an MBA in there, be a director of marketing. Um, you know, at the time I thought in corp- in a corporate world. And so that would be big time, but, but really if you line out what I was wanting to accomplish in my life, it was, um, I want to be successful, but I want to become really knowledgeable and an expert in an, in a thing that people would, would value. And, I, and so part of my plan was, um, to have success in work, write a book, be a consultant teach that I, I actually wanted to end my career teaching at a university, um, and, and so I just got some things out of order in that,
1: <laughs> okay. But I do think it's important why, why, even there, was the plan for higher education like, was there an experience that you had as a student? Was there something about this industry that we're in now that was attractive to you? Why? Why were you thinking about higher education even in that plan?
0: Yeah, um, I thought it was remarkable. I've talked about it before. Don Drennan was my intro to business professor, and um, he he was just he blew me away because he was super successful. And then at, at the end of his career, what he wanted to do is go back and teach. Um you know, it, at ACU for a dollar, they had to pay him, so for whatever reason, he accepted a dollar. And so he did it because he loved teaching. And he loved students in the way and, and he, all of the things. he had the knowledge and he wanted to impart that to a, the next generation. But a part of it was, for me, it was like, hey, when you have gifts, these are things, this is a good way to use it. It's not just for yourself, but ways to to be able to help others, which I think so many people. That's why you go into higher ed. And then I've also talked about my mentor Rick Lytle, who started calling me Dr. Boisvert, and I, and that like, that was news to me, um, yeah. that idea. So casting that vision, all of those things kind of lined up, and then and then when I was at Arizona State, Rick Lytle called me and said, Hey, will you come back? and just dip your toe in the world of teaching. I think you would enjoy it. And I'm like, that's not my plan. I like, (laughs) you're changing my timeline. So, but Uh, anyway, there's something special for sure about higher education and investing in other people's lives, uh, giving this part of um, how you've been blessed in all the ways to change other people's lives. So.
1: Yeah, Matt, it's such an interesting experience to remember you you as a student, for everybody, for me to remember me as a student, and to think about what happened to me in college is what we're always talking about, these moments where your vision of your future is expanded in a way that you didn't have before, or your understanding of who you are, because somebody calls something out in you, and you're like, well, I didn't know that I was that, or I didn't know that I would be good at that role, right? And so it's, I think it is such a good exercise to remember those moments when you're a student, because we're always trying to create those for our student, right? That's what we're always talking about. How do we make sure that they feel seen, that they're developing, that they're learning? And, you know, we've said so many times, like mentoring is not this gigantic thing. It's calling you Dr. Boisvert. It's saying, will you come back and just let's talk about what you could do, Right. At your alma mater. It's all of these little places where you learn something about yourself and you learn something about how you show up in the world and that broader vision for what could be, I think, is so important in that um, student development experience. All right. So I personally think the story of how Rick Lytle got you back to ACU to be, I I think it's hilarious because I think we have a lot of people on our team who are like, that's a Rick Lytle? I thought that was a Matt Boisvert. I didn't realize that that comes from him. This ability to kind of be like, hey, here's the vision for what it could be like if you join our team or if you join us in this good work. So Rick was like, hey, come just, let's just do like a quick overview of what job you could have if you guys.
0: What I'm, I'm, so, yeah they were they were going after AACSB accreditation the highest level of accreditation for a college of business and he had a specific role vision for how I could help build out services and support and um, so i don't know what to say when i so he, he flew me out and we're out we're having dinner and we're um, melissa and i are are over at uh, the Griggs house, which is, you know, kind of a special place. So we're there and Rick's talking to another person, and he's like, I had said to Melissa, look, there's 10% chance that I'd take this job. Like, it's too soon. And then we're talking, and Rick's talking about me and, and why I'm there. And he's like, I'm 90% sure Matt's gonna do this. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> we've got the percentages flipped. Um but for sure, I mean, it. Yeah, he, he definitely cast a vision and and helped me see where I fit in that. And not just. Uh, I mean, really, he crafted a thing for for me yeah. that was perfect. Now, what I what I learned um, from CNW, from Hallmark, from my experiences. Um, that I love. I'm a program builder. I, I love to to create new things and and so he basically was like, it is a blank slate. This is what we need. Build it. Yeah. Well, okay. That's that's pretty perfect for what I what I want to do. So.
1: So you started doing career center stuff for Cova and some accreditation stuff. And then I, 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 we could spend a lot of time on the Office of Career and Academic Development, which you were the director for. Um, I'm going to shortcut that just a little bit to say I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. But, but you were the director of a very desperate group of people. We had testing. We had academic probation. We had the Career Center, both Discovery and Exploration. We had first year experience pieces. We had um, Deciding, advising, we had study skills. like, like it was actually a pretty revolutionary setup of the office because did it. You was, said
0: testing center.
1: Yeah, I did. I think I did. Yeah, testing center. Yeah.
0: Um, this is so weird.
1: Yeah, but what was helpful about it is like we we just started talking about it. Like, this is the place if a student has something they need, they should come here. We were right next to the counseling center. We had a lot of counselors yeah. on staff, um, and and we really were like a one stop shop for our students who were at risk or struggling, it's where early alert started in a very manual process that then um, we'll talk about kind of how you jettison that into what is now Ferris Resources. But there was a lot of directing of people there and learning the different sorts of elements uh, that needed to be coordinated for an at-risk student, right?
0: Yeah, so if you think about, so the reason why the testing center it, it was weird to me. But what was so cool about that is that we actually were getting prospective students. Cause we'd have students before they actually enrolled at ACU, they were coming to take the ACT. So on the in the summers, we would get to meet these these prospective students. And it was like so from before they even became a student, they start started to see our hospitality, how really how we loved pouring into student development. Um, so that was neat. That was a neat add-on that I just didn't expect yeah. of h- how that was a helpful part of this whole, from the beginning, I mean, literally for freshmen That's all cool. the way through to help them be career ready and find a job. And it's a weird, you know, for me, again, when I say Jack Stewart called me and said, here's a job. And I went over and it was like a fax, you know, that it received. <laughs>
1: Back in the day, when he's like, you need to go interview for
0: this, right? It was so weird to come back, and now I'm I'm uh, running the the this whole thing, yeah. that today, like back then, in 2005, that was revolutionary. I, sure. There really weren't too many offices like that. Now it's becoming a oh we should we should consider the from the lens of a student, like what are their experiences. So yeah. it was really fun, and again, blank slate, like. I don't know. Here's your little budget build something. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome.
1: Yeah, this is really good. So, we you went from that place which I think also when I think about how we do the work that we do, that office had so much interface with a different kind of student. Right. A student who really was struggling, who was eager for support, who needed somebody in their corner who wanted to be coached up. Like, so it just was a different population of students than maybe the general population. You went from the director of that office, then over to COBA as the assistant dean and uh, marketing faculty. Um, I think we've talked a lot about you as a, as a marketing faculty, but I just want to call out that. First of all, you won professor of the year right?
0: I did. T- Teacher of the Year in the College Teacher of Business.
1: in the College of Business. Your students really, really loved you. Shauna was one of your students. And we all the time will run into people or on LinkedIn, have a student come back and be like, nah, you really made a difference. Or I use the skill that you taught me, right? To, to do a thing. So you were really well loved by students. Even though... You made them write a 60 page paper.
0: If you wrote a 60 page paper, you weren't getting an A. (laughs) (laughs) It was tough. And it was principles of marketing. And so um, I was like, you know, if if you I wanted to equip my students to be able to go and deliver what I was able to do with confidence, what I was able to do for Daryl Beakley at CNW. And so I knew how beneficial that was to me the whole process. So they got to pick the product. So if you want to do a report on the Nintendo Wii, you picked it. So then you go out and and do the research. Well, this is something that Rick Lytle made me do. It was something that I could deliver to Daryl Beakley. I did mine on on Jeep, because I had a Jeep at the time I knew Jeep. And it was so cool. It was a really enlightening project, so yes, I made my students do that. And I, you know, accounting students who, why I'm not I'm not marketing, but some of the very best reports I ever received, of course, were from accounting majors. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. So even though even though I was hard, I was fair, um, and some really it was just a, I don't know it was great. Yeah. Again, I had great models through from undergrad, it's interesting when you think about the people who taught you and like what are the styles that that you loved, what connected with you and how do you blend in uh, different teaching styles I was really blessed to have great teachers um, so I when I think about winning teacher of the year that that was that I just I just came in um, wanting to deliver the kind of experience that I had. For sure.
1: Okay, so I I don't know what to do exactly, Matt, because we don't have a lot of time and I have a lot. We we aren't even. I'll be
0: quick. Let's just go up.
1: Ferris. Yeah. Okay. so I'm just going to summarize. The technology that was created in ACU, because you're an entrepreneur, you were like, hey, other schools need this. ACU, do you want to commercialize it? They're like, we don't want to commercialize it. We have a whole full-time job, which is educating students because we're a higher ed institution. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to take it and I'm going to start this company and we are going to start making it available. Because at the time, I just want to remind everybody, like retention was not really a thing. We were coming out of the heydays of we had plenty of students. And if they left, it was fine. We have a pipeline we can fill. There was maybe like a moral, we want to recruit students and like see them through their through to graduation, but there wasn't the same understanding of like ROI and retention and tuition driven and all of those different elements. And so in the early years for Ferris, so much of what we were doing is trying to understand how to educate people about retention, about student success, about how technology could make them more effective and efficient. And we had a really strong viewpoint of that, but we were not, I think you said the other day, like we're not selling vapor it has to be shored up and we have to be certain of it in order to kind of move forward um so the the you took it out you also won the springboard competition that came out of acu which uh, i was just reflecting so first of all you won the award which means that we got free rent for a year which then you talked them into two years it was
0: well we received we received free rent for two years and I talked them into two and a half.
1: Okay. So that was an advantage of that. They also created a new award, which was most fundable, which they're like, Hey, we didn't do this before, but we love this idea that you have. So you won that piece. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say like, as I reflect on your presence as president of Ferris resources, I'm just thinking about like all of the little things in the beginning, like servers. Why don't we not buy them? Why don't we just use Google? Hey, that,
0: yeah, thanks. I had a, you know, my best friend was was selling Dell servers, and so it's like, I mean, do we really need to spend this to money
1: Google that we have to air condition, and then we've got to have technology people who can? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so
1: didn't do servers. I was thinking about when we have no money and you bought a really nice printer and like, how much awesome paper? Yeah. I mean, it was it lasted us for like three years, the paper that and it was what how did you get that?
0: Christy Henshaw, they had a calendar printing business, friends of ours. And they were um, selling it, but high quality like calendar printing quality. And they were selling it. And I looked, you know, from the very beginning of being, you know, at CNW, having a very high quality printer was essential to my my mojo because it was like, I don't have time to like have all this ready and go to the printers and have it delivered in three weeks and all the I didn't have time for that. Like if we had an idea, I want to be able to print it and look good. And so this, so, so I- having a I was, a, I was a printer aficionado uh, <laughs> and she had these two super duper, super, yeah. they were super duper. Yeah. Were great. So
1: I think all of those elements just speaks to the lean and quick, right? Like, like we we need to be able to be super smart. We don't have a lot of money, but we're also going to be really quick about how we move and how we adjust, which for sure is how you do leadership and how you've always led this company. Um, I have to tell yeah. them. Great story about in our early years where we, you and I, and I think I can't remember if it was Z or Shauna on the call with us too. We were meeting with the school. Um, we we probably had like eight schools. We were meeting with the school, and the woman we were meeting with was like, "Hey, I'm not unhappy with you guys at all. That's not the reason I've asked the president to join the call. I just there's I have a couple of questions about what we should be doing and how we need to approach this and blah blah blah." And you muted with a terrified look on your face and said to me Rachel the president is on the call and I said Matt that's you you're the president she said <laughs> the president and you were like oh yeah all right the president is is <laughs> call. Yeah, uh, the president is happy to attend this meeting but I think that just speaks to right like in the beginning this we're trying to do a thing and we're not So sure about it. And we're just being super quick and super lean about how we show up um, in in this space of retention. Okay, Um, I have one more kind of.
0: uh, (laughs) Z just just wrote, hey, it's a good thing we didn't have to be on Zoom back then. It was just a phone call. Yeah. Right. Because I would have been Um, horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Where
1: is he? I don't know. Where is the president? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, can you help me understand, We Ferris Resources had a lot of lean years, but we have moved on to be a super successful company, and I'm wondering on your reflections of things you have to think about as you are running an ed tech company. Like, what are the things that you're like, these have to be baked into what we do in order for it to be a success in the measurements that you have for it?
0: As an ed tech company? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, if you break that down, so on the company side, like we, hey y'all, we have to make money. So that's <laughs> like just a f- fact. So cash flow. When I talk about co- cost accounting and all of that, it's kind of amazing, you know. But that really is a stressor um, in the beginning. I've I've used this many times. Rachel is uh, Seth Godin's um, fulcrum of innovation. Um, you have an idea. Can it be done? Is it worth doing by you? And, and so um, I've always had ideas. I mean, going back, I've had, I've had a lot of entrepreneurial ideas, but this one of taking the software that we created at ACU and taking it out on the company part, the by you was really important. Like, can it be done? Yes, we're, we've already done it. Is it worth doing? Absolutely. It changes students' lives. It can help an institution by you, no, I can't do that. I, I need a team, right? So the company part for me is like, so yes, we want to be profitable because I love my team. And I want to I want to be able to have a great team so that um, on the technology piece, so the tech company piece, we're delivering excellent service. So software as a service, it's a service. And so what we deliver that that has to be, we have to approach it that way. That's a really important piece on the technology side, there's a whole bunch that goes into like staying ahead, and thinking about and you're really great at this, like, what do practitioners need? And then we've had a lot of innovation that just comes out of thinking, right. So being profitable isn't like, you know, me not, not a giant P, I just want to be able to fund great ideas and a great team, so that we can support and deliver great service to clients, but the the client is tech is the ed part, and the education for me is is um, when you think about higher education, it's a little different than selling concrete batch plants, uh, <laughs> giant vacuum cleaners. You know, basically, yeah. what we make. it's a totally different market. Who is this market? They're smart. They're passionate. This is a group of people who have given up a lot. They've invested a lot to be at their institution. And we need we need to respect them and deliver on the tech company piece uh, so that they they can really thrive um, in the education piece. So uh, there's a but on the on the education side, there's also a lot of other things like, yes, they're smart and they're passionate, but it takes time. They're going to be slower decision makers. If a concrete, you know, mix plant needs a a vacuum, giant vacuum cleaner. Buy it. They have to buy it right then; otherwise, yeah. the EPA is coming after them. In education, they can they can slow roll, have committees. So you have to be patient with that. And so I think that bakes in on the education side. But um, I love it.
1: Yeah, we. You know, I was I was thinking earlier, like we occasionally, only occasionally, will be um, referred to as vendors,
0: and it <laughs> always
1: is so like. Hard. <laughs> Why? Why would you say that to me? <laughs> say that about me? <laughs> right, We think about our clients as partners. We want to be, I mean, yeah. I can't yeah. tell you from the very beginning, we have always been like, you guys are doing good work. Part of our job is to support you, to create things that you need so that you can spend more time with your students. You were reminding me today about a, a conference we went to super early where it was a bunch of VPs of student success. And sitting in the room with those people where they're dealing with such weighty things, they're, you know, every time we go to a conference, the people that we're talking to have to leave because there's a phone call, because somebody got, a student got kicked out or something, there's an emergency or something's happening. They just do such good work. And we have always had the burden of how do we serve them in a way that makes their life easier so that they can spend more time with the student.
0: Yeah, well said. That's just super important to me. I'll never forget that meeting, you know, where where they all, ev- everyone working with students, there's so much going, especially today, um, so much going on and the weight to be able to see and feel the weight in that room about care for students that all, you know, there's, there's two things I would say for Ferris, that meeting, or, or time together. And then the, the time that we were pre- first presenting, our technology at a first year experience conference as ACU and feeling the energy in that room because that's when I felt like everyone doing this work needs the right tools to be able to support their students. You could just feel it in the room and that's that's really what got me uh, moving on writing the proposal that led to Ferris Resources.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about, I was talking to a group of students the other day, and and they were asking about being a technology company. And I was like, yeah, it's, of course, of course, that is what we do, right? That's what we provide. But then this heart that's underneath it for the really good work that we do. And Matt, you and I have talked a lot of times and could spend a whole cap and gown talking about the names of students that we worked with and helped and walked alongside and what they're doing now and how their lives are changed and also they're impacting the world for good. And that is such an exciting uh, piece of it. So, yeah,
0: don't please don't call us vendors.
1: Yeah. If you want to hurt my feelings, call me a vendor. Okay, I have one last surprise for you, and that is I was thinking like it's very nice for you to tell your story, but also the reflections of the people who work around you. I always say everybody at Ferris Resources works for you. Um, because you're so good at building a team and valuing everyone and so our director of operations had the great idea of asking our team for some reflections on you so i've saved three whole minutes for this here's what they had to say are you ready all right all right matt is kind humble and empowering he's not afraid to take risks and is able to stay focused on the big picture he's built a company that stays true to its mission and employs staff who are happy and passionate about serving clients A common thread in Matt's leadership is building others up. While the company is focused on improving the lives of students and the institution that supports them, Matt gives the same attention and care to everyone on the team so we can improve our work, our skills, and each other. That leadership has brought together a like-minded team, which is a joy to work with. He is an extremely kind leader who makes an effort to understand what each team member's specific needs are in order for them to thrive in their role and then works to make sure everyone has what they need. He's also very effective at driving Ferris forward, as he is one, not afraid to dream big on the direction of travel for Ferris, but also two, able to work backwards and make sure the company has the right people and resources to achieve their dream goals. Matt is an authentic, caring, creative leader. He delivers on his promise of excellence and instills confidence in our team by trusting us to thrive independently, When he sees a need, he is quick to find a solution. He puts other people first and is genuinely invested in our successes, both professionally and personally. He's never forgotten why we do what we do. His leadership allows us to be our best. He is the kind of leader everyone wants to work for. He puts his employees well-being and family first. He is generous and thoughtful. He genuinely cares about students and our clients. Everything we build in this company comes from that culture of care. It is a true gift to work at Ferris surrounded by wonderful colleagues. Matt has created that for us. He has given us good, meaningful work that adds value to our lives and our families. Thank you, Matt. Wow. So yep. I wasn't just making all of that up. You can see your <laughs> that we really value you and the gifts that you bring um, to allowing us just to thrive and do really good work is pretty incredible. So, all right.
0: Well, I didn't. Uh, expect or deserve that. But thank you.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. All right. Next week, we get to talk about curiosity. So you're going to join me for that one as well. And then the week after that, we have Dr. Nancy Schenkel on.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: She is going to (laughs) be such a delight. I'm super excited to have her as a guest. Um, I'm not going to tease her too much because I will tease our show too much because I will talk more about it next week. Um, but she's going to be a good she's
0: phenomenal, and uh, she was one of my great uh, professors. Um, so, if you want to join us and and actually read along, have a little book club. Here's the book: <laughs> Seek <laughs> How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. Uh, join us yeah. next week. Uh,
1: thanks for joining, hey, me, Matt.
0: Thanks, Rachel.
1: <laughs> have a good day. Bye.